we're all in this together. We're all feeling this together. Whether you're rich and you're building a bunker or whether you're living paycheck to paycheck, everybody kind of feels what's what's happening now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the, the fascinating thing that's happening is this idea that uh, at the end of at the end times, and let's just talk about practically, I don't mean ultimate end times, right? What happens is things hidden are being revealed, mm. right? So we're experiencing that at a rapid pace, right? Uh, you know, the people that, that run the government don't have the best interests of those that they govern in mind. Whoa, you know, uh, you know, uh, at every scale, we're, we're kind of seeing that happening. Uh, mm -hmm. And as things are revealed and things are hidden, it's an opportunity uh, to kind of, it's, it's an opportunity to, to transform, right? Mm. To use the chaos, which inherent within chaos is, is, the, is the potential for the new, is the potential for, for creation, right? It's using the chaos to find that light within you. Joining me today is James Cortides, returning guest. And as of the recording, it is the beginning of the new year, 2024. I know a lot of people have been asking questions. What is this you're going to hold? Uh, and they've been lots of circulating conversations around is like, especially the craziness that's happening. Right now, there's discussions of civil war in the United States. There's a lot of doom and, you know, content for a serious concern. And so I thought it would be really good to open up this conversation in a productive way. And I didn't think of anybody else I could turn to first other than James Cortides, because James has a really special way of introducing topics of the day, critical topics, but doing so in the context of hope and being able to shine light on it rather than just focus on maybe the darkness and the stuff that gets a lot of attention, but then leaves people in the state of dread. So James, I couldn't thank you enough for joining me in conversation again. How are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. And we were talking a little bit about this before. We seem to have found this, this kind of rhythm of connecting with each other uh, every year around this time. So this is three, four years in a row. Um, right. And another nice tidbit is that you and I, our first conversation in this digital space was with each other um, back in what, 2020? Yes. 20? Yeah, I think it was 2020. Yes. Yeah, it's when I had my phone on a little tripod there and <laughs> I was right. sitting nervous, like, you know, what up? I, I don't know what I'm going to say. What, what is this? You yeah. know, it was, that, that was, that was good times. And I'm happy to be able to meet you here soon. It's just a blessing, man. And and uh, I can't wait to spend some time with you and a lot of the folks on the symbolic world. Uh, and they have the uh, the conference. Was it Rest Restoration of the Cosmic Image? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, pull up the website yeah. for the summit right now. Let's give them a shout out for sure. Uh, yeah, because yeah, you and I have not met in person as well as other guests that we've had on our podcast. But now is the time. This is like the first true gathering and it's going to be called the symbolic world summit so other people in the symbolic world space addressing the meaning crisis who through meaningful content like jonathan Majot, neil degrade uh vesper stamper uh, nicholas kotar sarah from richard roland and so there's just so many more and so it's just going to be such a great privilege for all of us to get in in one place and one time and be able to you know, look at, at each other face to face for a change instead of through, you know, screens and whatnot. Yeah. Looking so we, here we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So tickets are on sale right now. 
It is going to be taking place at the end of February, leap year this year. Of course, of course, it'd be leap year. Uh, they have different tracks, different themes. So they have the logo-centric art, universal history with Mr. Roland, and Hearth and Hospitality. And so they actually uh, released the schedule. I don't know if you got a chance to look at that, James, but there's a lot happening. So if you are going to attend, and I highly encourage everybody to do so, there you should maybe look at the schedule to get a, an idea of where you're going to be because they're going to have multiple things happening in parallel. You can't see it all, but they are going to be recording it for people that go to the conference to be able to view later. Yeah, I think it is going to be recorded and it's going to be in uh, happenstance in my hometown in Tarpon Springs, Florida. I know. Uh, so I was born and raised in this area. It's actually going to be at the church that uh, I attend to. Or Oh, man, you don't say. Yeah. That's awesome. So it was pretty cool when I, I saw that come through. Uh, I know Neil lives kind of in the area here, um, and you're going to have some great speakers there and and really get uh, get together. And I couldn't think of a better time in this in the midst of the chaotic 2024 narrative that we are coming into here to really dive in and to, and to explore this symbolic worldview, uh, which has had a profound uh, impact on, on my life as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to meet Richard Rowland as well, Father Stephen DeYoung. Um, so it's going to be great. And I understand there are tickets still available, uh, but they're not too pricey. If you're in the area or if you can be in the area, uh, Florida in the February is beautiful. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, be sure to get your tickets before they're gone, because I'm not sure how many of these they're going to be hosting. I know you mentioned it's going to be in your hometown of uh, Florida. It's going to be my first time going to Florida. And so... <laughs> ice love to yeah. have you man yeah might, so hopefully i'll get a little bit more color like you see i got yeah. this like california <laughs> opaqueness going on you know it might snow later tonight really yeah we might yeah. keep you man we need you know more of more of you would be good for florida so come on in you know yeah we'll see man first time uh and then hopefully i'll, I'll make i'll just start right now folks i'll make the pitch i really want to do another one of these symbolic world gatherings west coast west coast so we're doing the east coast thing great i got my tickets i'm ready to go yeah west coast so somewhere over here and really truly that maybe maybe a good segue into our topic of the day talking about you know like yeah times are really tough they're crazy uh is this the end you know maybe a lot of people are not saying that out loud although i'm, I'm sure we have a few that are <laughs> but it might be that they're thinking it right because it just seems like there's so much going on and there, there there's now discussions or maybe thoughts about is this the end you know you start thinking end times uh eschatology right so you're thinking about uh is this the end of this cycle you know kind of like we have end of the yearly cycle end of the seasons uh then there's the end of the the epochs the ages and what does that look like and are we getting close to that and could we detect the patterns that would lead up to that? Or could we look at other ones previously, other cycles of, you know, major stretches of time and be able to recognize what took place to lead up to that? And are we experiencing that today? And so I would love to have a symbolic world over here on California, because really California is the edge of the world, right? If you mm -hmm. look at the development of, especially the Western tradition, where it started, where civilization really started the center, you know, it's on the other side of the world. And then it really sp spread, you know, like dropping a pebble in a lake and just seeing the ripples go out. 
And you look at, at least where I live, and I'd love to have you out here too, in Northern California. Uh, I live in the country, kind of, it almost resembles other places more like Montana. And some mm -hmm. people even talk like they're from the South. I don't know why it's really weird, but I love it. <laughs> uh, and I'm kind of like inland uh, from, uh, say like a Mendocino, Fort Bragg, Glass mm -hmm. Beach. And then uh, if you were to drive from there and try to get to Sacramento, I'm like midway. So I'm north of the Bay Area and uh, not quite not quite out of uh, the Sacramento Valley. So we kind of have our own basin. It's kind of tucked away. Love to have people uh, congregate in this area. It's beautiful. But uh, near my area is a place where the West met the East. Mm -hmm. And it, historically speaking, you look at the expansion of the Spaniards into the Mexican, well, what is today now Mexico, or back then it was... Uh, entitled New Spain. Mm -hmm. And you saw how they went up, especially the mission system. There was a heavy investment in uh, the Christianization of the world, as they would say. And so you see these missions along California. You see a lot of the cities are named after saints, San Francisco, Sacramento, mm -hmm. San Diego, Santa Barbara, Santa Rosa, which is pretty close to where I live. Um, but then you see north of that, the, the Spanish name stopped right? Mm -hmm. North of Santa Rosa, there's not a whole lot. But then you enter in, there's the Russian River mm -hmm. that's over the hill from where I live down in the other valley in uh, Mendocino County. And you start seeing some Russian names, some non-Spanish names, and then you can go over to um, uh, Point Ross or Fort Ross. And Fort Ross is where the Russian American company had an outpost. Have you mm -hmm. heard about that? Mm-mm. Okay, so so to them, if you were to like invert that direction of westward expansion, if you look at eastward expansion, that's as far, how would you say, eastward that they went. And it was like their edge of the world butted up against the edge of the world for Spain and the Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And they met on this Northern California coast, Bodega Bay's like, as as far as where the, the Spaniards went uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And then right above there, they had one little fort, Fort Ross, and that was a Russian outpost. And you can go there today. If you come to the area, that's where I'd take you. Really? And along the way, you can see the old growth redwoods and all of that. But my point is, is that right here, you can, you can see the edge of the world. And then it kind of gets you thinking about the end times and what is the, the end of the world look like. So James, I, I'd like to I'd like to just turn it over to you at this point and and just see what your thoughts are. What's your how do you see where we're at, picking up on other patterns of where we're at in history and and just go from there. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, the sun sets in, in the West, right? And um have you been to Platina? Have you been? I think Father Seraphim Rose had a monastery in California. Is that correct? I haven't been, uh, I have been to other locations nearby, but that one is out there, man. They are out yeah. in the woods. So you have to, it's a special trip that you have to make. And some make a, people made a pilgrimage to it recently for his anniversary. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Hey, maybe we'll make that our trip when I head out there. Oh, we'll trek over dude, to see there. See, we got yeah. an itinerary. We're ready to go. There you go. Because I think he plays a big role in this is, uh, he wrote about a lot about, uh, you know, eschatology and the end of the world. 
uh, right? And he planted that that monastery. I don't think he planted it, but he was, um, you know, integral uh, to to building it up in that area. And it's interesting. You live in a very interesting uh, part of the world uh, in a, a very interesting time. And in the concept of uh, the end of the world is is a broad concept, and it's 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 hard and easy to wrap your mind around because we were talking a little bit before that we all live in the end times, and that our life is extremely short. You know, we yeah. all, uh, you know, we all will leave this world. So we right. all have person, we have a personal eschatology, but seem think things are ramping up at a more global level. And we were talking about the the book Dominion and how there's yeah. been. Lots of cycles, historical cycles, mm-hmm. yeah, where um, ways of being in the world ended, right, um, which inaugurated new ways of being in the world. Um, and there's a quote here that I love that I read from uh, from Eschatological Optimism. Oh, yeah, what do you got uh, there? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's entitled Eschatological Optimism by Daria Plitsinova Dugina, who is uh, the late daughter of Russian philosopher Alexander Dugin, and she was killed two years ago uh when the war started did you know that no so she was uh killed two years ago when the war started the ukraine russia war wow and she's got a deep rich philosophical she's an orthodox christian but she's delved deeply into postmodern philosophy uh deleuze uh guattari uh all all of those postmodern and and i find her work fascinating and there's this quote that uh, she has at the end of this uh maybe i'll read this little section here um yeah go for it so the term eschatological optimism right since we are living in the end of the uh, the end times and we can think of that politically economically socially even spiritually right but it seems like let's take the political order right there's something about the political order the way things have been that is coming to an end whether it's this globalism that's being really ramping up now with the wef the the World Economic Forum, the WHO, the UN, um, right? So there was even a uh, a quote by uh, kind of the philosopher of the WEF. You all know for Harari. You ever heard of him? No, go on. So he wrote, he was having an interview and he said, uh, they asked him, do you think Donald Trump is going to get reelected? He said, uh, I think that's a good possibility. And he says, that's a, um, you know, that's a hazard because he is going to end the new world order and the Whoa. new world global order. Like he said that. Mm. <laughs> and I was listening to some liberal uh, commentator, Jimmy Dore. And he says, I never thought of voting for Trump, but him, he just made an argument for it by saying, you know, <laughs> by criticizing Donald Trump, cause he might end this, this new world order. And we are seeing the emergence of this global economic mm. uh, Leviathan that has, mm. that is, that has come into the fold here. Um, which has put our, you know, way of being in, in the world in, in in peril, right? We're, we're moving into different ways of uh, digitally experiencing each other economically, the way that we transact with each other. Um, yeah. Even this, you know, conversation right here, you know, so politically things are changing, and it's going to be the end of the way things were for a while, right? Uh, I think economically, mm-hmm. uh, you could say that as well with AI coming into the fold, right? And not just AI; that's just part of it. You know, uh, self-driving cars, uh, all of these vocations that we've so long as human beings have have uh, counted on to work and sustain ourselves and give ourselves and our families meaning, they're perishing, right? So come on, anxiety-ridden, right? That's politically, economically, and socially with, with the, woke, the woke revolution that we've seen, which, you know, you can call it 
by many different names, you know, uh, evolution of Marxism into cultural Marxism. Um, you know, the, you, you see a lot of critique of the Christopher Rufos and, uh, um, and uh, uh, what's his name, James Lindsay's, who have really dug deep into what this woke revolution mm -hmm. is. So even socially, uh, things are changing, right? So I think we are living uh, yeah. in the end of, of times uh, and many, you know, serious categories of existence, right? Politically, economically, socially. Uh, but this quote here from, um, I think it's Julius Evola, which I don't know too much about, uh, but she concludes here. She says, I would like to conclude my lecture by repeating the quote from Ganon, actually, Rene Ganon says, quote, mm. the end of the world is, uh, the end of the world never is and can never be anything but the end of an illusion. The end mm. of the world can never and never is and can never be anything but the end of an illusion. Um, mm. So that brought up, you know, kind of the mind to me, like, you know, all of this contemporary uh, cultural information that we have, um, you know, like the movie, yeah. the matrix, right. Mm -hmm. When, when Le Neo wakes up from the matrix, that's an eschatological moment, right. The mm. world that he thought was present everywhere present, you know, and he's experiencing he had this knack at the beginning of the movie, you know, he was isolated, you know, he was constantly obsessed with something that was nagging at him. Right. And then eventually he came across the white rabbit following the rabbit hole. Right. And there's something was, more. Yeah. yeah. There's something more. And I think we all have that feeling. I think that's why that's, that's mm -hmm. resonated so much for us in that cultural moment. That movie came out in 1999. Right. Yeah. Uh, took things by storm and think about 1999 we were living at the end of the the uh everybody was worried about the white the y2k yeah. yeah you know because if computers couldn't switch the digit that's going to be the end of, of the world you know um <laughs> uh, and, and talk actually, about just having fodder you know it's like, yeah i don't think and, that was the actual thing i think there was something way deeper going on and we just kind of use that more of an excuse to hit the panic yeah. button but if you did double click a little bit uh, on that at that time, I think this idea of the end of the world, it's not precise, you know, as the scripture says, right? And I think uh, the end of yeah. the world is, is a fractal phenomenon. The end of the world can mean the end of your physical life. It could be the end of your marriage, the solution of your marriage. It can mean mm. the end of a job. You know, it yeah. could be the end of a deep friendship. Uh, it could be the end of uh, a parent dying, right? So we live within nested realities, nested worlds at mm. different scales and different levels. And those bubbles pop all the time, right? And that is the end of a world. But the end yeah. of the world is always inaugurated by the beginning of a new world. Yes, right? the end and the beginning. And what right. we saw in, in 1999, in 2001, we had 9-11, right? And we didn't really know, and we still haven't really uh, metabolized the meaning of what 9-11 inaugurated into the world, right? It was mm. the end of the American empire. Yep. You know, it, it was it's just a traumatic event. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, that burst the political notion, the, the political bubble of, of our understanding of the world in 1999. And then 2008, we had our economic bubble burst, right? With the mm -hmm. collapse of 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've seen now uh, with, uh, with COVID, right? This idea of, of, of that the people in the medical community and the yeah. people in the public health community have the interests, have our best interests in mind, that bubble has popped, right? So, yeah. Yeah. so it's, it's understandable and we should have empathy and sympathy and for ourselves and for our loved ones and for friends and family and strangers that there's anxiety in the world because we're seeing at multiple levels of, uh, you know, fractal levels of our bubbles bursting.
right? So that causes anxiety, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know, mental health issues are up and, and things of that nature. So how can we have um, optimism in, in the face of this? Um, and I think that's an open question that should be explored uh, mm -hmm. with people that you love that are gathered together. Uh, if, if not for, you know, if, if anything, these, you know, tumultuous times have brought people into more meaningful conversations. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've seen that with my family. I've seen that with my friends and even people at work. Uh, we're really yeah, starting to focus and, and COVID had a big uh, part to play. And, you know, we were locked at home with our families. We had to be for weeks, months at a time. Mm -hmm. Right. So the end of the world, right. The popping of these nested bubbles that we live in, it really leaves us at the, at the, at the core with most, what's most fundamental. Right. And that's yeah. uh, our family and our friends, right. Our units, our cells uh, that we live in here. And I think we are forced to turn our gaze uh, towards our families, towards our friends. And, uh, and unfortunately for a lot of people, that means mm -hmm. the dissolution of relationship. Because once you start mm -hmm. focusing, right? So, but again, it, it's 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 like we're we're all forced to wander in the wilderness now. You know, mm, that's, the wilderness. That's another, yeah, it's another fractal notion, right? The wilderness could be you had a job for ten years in an industry that you're you know of, and that you got fired, mm -hmm. you got laid off, right? You've had a relationship, let's say, with a wife or a loved one uh, that you know wasn't where it needed to be or right, and then mm -hmm. something happens and it's disillusion. And when that disillusion happens, you were left in the wilderness. And right now we are uh, left in the wilderness yeah. and and uh, we're left to, to, to struggle to find our way. Um, and what we see with this happening is a return of a more authentic, ancient Christianity, hmm. um, which yeah. I, I was, which there, there's your optimism, right? Uh, yeah, let me let me interject there because I please. I grew up with uh oh gosh what was that series called the end times series where is um you know the rapture's coming and it's going to open up this these eras of doom and destruction and wars and all of that and so there is not everybody that hears you know say like end times Christianity or technical term you know like Christian eschatology has necessarily an optimistic outlook. So I just want to want to bring that part up there too, because there is optimism, but then there's a whole lot of triggering. I'm sure there's a lot of people potentially triggered by talking about end times and Christianity in the same sentence. And so for me and maybe others, it's like, okay, well, tell me more about that. You know, like, tell me more about this optimistic way of understanding the end. Uh, because I mean, I mean, there's a pastor told me about this where, at the, in the eighties, they had that, that book. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's what 88 reasons why Christ is coming in, uh, 1988. Have you ever heard about that? Mm -mm. Uh, and, uh, so 88 came and went. And then, so the following year, what book does he come up with? <laughs> 89, 89 reasons why it's coming in 1980. And by then people caught on It's like, oh yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, fine. And so that, uh, changed how people, it, it like you're talking about realities it, it changed their perception of time and reality and their purpose in it so for example there was one couple that decided to uh terminate one of their pregnancies because there's you know this one verse that says it's better if you're not with children in the end times uh and you know what is that matthew 24 something right around there 
And during the tribulation, you don't want to be with child. And it's like, so they interpreted that and said, oh my gosh, it's 1988 and I'm pregnant. I can't be. Mm. And so wow. it's like, yeah. So it's like, there's, I just want to acknowledge there's that whole side of it of like the chaos, the terror, the, the trauma that goes along with, with this discussion. And so I really do want to hear more about the optimistic side of it as well. Um, but then, oh, I did want to respond to, it's interesting you meant Jimmy Dore, he's the comedian, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting that it's like these comedic gestures that are... <laughs> fools. You know, comment, yeah, total fools, just the ones that are commenting on the truth of reality. So perhaps that is a, a pattern worth noting. Uh, and then the other thing too is you had mentioned this like scale up of like one domain you know, 20 years ago, another domain 10 years ago. And it feels like you could make an argument for four domains each of the last four years. It just feels mm -hmm. like it's, you know, kind of like escalating like that. There was a quote I wanted to share from the Dominion book that I think puts it really nicely. Uh, so it's talking about uh, a group called the Taborites. Mm -hmm. uh, we're hardly the first Christians to believe themselves living in the shadow of apocalypse at the end times. The novelty lay rather in the scale of the crisis that had prompted their imaginings, one in which all the traditional underpinnings of society, all the established frameworks of authority appeared fatally compromised. And I'll just end there. So again, that's from Tom Holland's Dominion, but that scale of the, the crisis was the difference because you're right. I mean, like in the small scale we have, you know, little crisis, there's every day comes to an end, right? Every season comes to an end, every year comes to an end. Um, and so I think what's happening right now is to decide, okay, is, is this just all we're feeling? Or maybe it's just me, maybe it's just one area, you know, because you could have like a little local apocalypse. I'm sure if you asked, say, people in other countries like Ukraine and Israel right now, they'd probably say it's the end times. And, mm -hmm. but then you look at what's happening just everywhere you know especially with modern technology maybe that's one of the illusory things is now we're just aware of all of the world's crisis everywhere and we're not you know one human being's not meant to receive that much data all at once and you know there's only so much uh realization we can have of the facts in front of us our attention is only so narrow or so wide but you know are we at this point of scale where we could begin arguing of like, okay, yeah, we're starting to see patterns where this thing is escalating to a point where now we're talking about, you know, an aeon or like a an age, not just like this little mini thing happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, to speculate, right? We, we don't know the hour, the time and whatnot, uh, but just to speculate and have some fun, I'd say, I'd say yes. Right. And, and what a blessing to be alive at that time. You know, here's the thing. You're going to die. You know, I'm going to die. Like, you know, stop holding on. You're going to be gone soon. Mm -hmm. Right. And not to sound morbid, but imagine if everybody together perished, whether it's a, a an asteroid hitting or whatever it may be. Right. So we need a I think this was this this idea from uh, this idea, you got to die before you die. So when you die, you don't die. Right. And make friends with death, make yeah. build a relationship with, with your mortality um, because it's coming. Right. So it, it's a blessing to be alive at a, at a, at a uh, transition point that we're living in now. And 
that's happened again countless times. But as you're talking about here, the scale that it's happening now, this global transformation that we're uh, underway, it's just, it's, it, if you can keep your wits about you, keep the perspective and keep the, you know, your own mortality in your consciousness, right? The, the optimism is born uh, by the realization of your own mortality, right? And the, and the mm -hmm. brief and the brevity of your life on, on this planet at this time. Uh, that's the case whether we continuously live the monotonous late capitalist life of making money, building your 401k, you know, getting older than being in an old folks home. And then as you're 80, you know, dying of some kind of chronic disease or of old age, right? Mm. That's more mm. terrifying to me <laughs> than living in a, a time and place uh, of, of massive transformation where the best of you is being called out of, right? The, the, your metal is being tested. Right. And, and it's a it's a wonderful thing and, and it's a difficult thing and it's a challenging thing, but it it, it requires um, something out of you that you probably it wouldn't be activated in, in other times. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think having having actual faith is having hope in times of tribulation. Right. Uh, you know, it was Saint, I think Saint Silouan said, uh, keep thy mind in hell and despair not. Mm. Right. Keep thy mind in hell and despair not. And that doesn't mean uh, that you're not going to fall into uh, you know different times of 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 being in despair and not having that perspective of the kind of broader perspective. Uh, and that's okay too, you know, because we're all in this together. We're all feeling this together. Whether you're rich and you're building a bunker, or whether you're living paycheck to paycheck, everybody kind of feels what's what's happening now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think. The, the fascinating thing that's happening is this idea that uh, at the end of at the end times, and let's just talk about practically, I don't mean ultimate end times, right? What happens is things hidden are being revealed, hmm. right? So we're experiencing that at a rapid pace, right? Uh, you know, the people that, that run the government don't have the best interests of those that they govern in mind. Whoa. You know, uh, you know, uh, at every scale, we're, we're kind of seeing that happening. Uh, mm -hmm. And as things are revealed and things are hidden, it's an opportunity uh, to kind of it's it's a, an opportunity to, to transform, right? Mm. To use the chaos, which inherent within chaos is is the is the potential for the new is the potential for for creation, right? Mm. It's using the chaos to find that light within you, right? Mm. Uh, and for me and you, that to find that more authentic relationship with Christ in your heart, right? And and use that as the ability to uh, focus on what's what's important in life. Again, it comes back to your relationships, to your family, your kids, your vocation, your work, right? Everything else is noise. You can't control it. Like I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine and he's like, man, why are you, you know, why do you pay attention to all this stuff? There's nothing you can do about it. We're talking about political economic strife. I said, you're right, but it's not about, uh, you know, figuring something out, observing the pattern and then uh, coming up with a solution and affecting that. I think it's about being aware, finding that balance, being aware what's going on with, with uh, prayerfully and preparing yourself and your family, just yeah. preparing yourself. I don't mean like being a prepper or anything, but I mean, just being spiritually uh, prepared for uh, whatever is to come. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and if if I, if we do that, I think uh, I think we can experience this time as a beautiful blessing, as as a time of revelation. Right, things are being revealed to us, uh, mm. right, and, and 
and we see this this little quarter of the internet that we're on, um, we see a lot of people, I think with the work of Jonathan Peugeot and Tom Holland and people like that, people are coming to this more originary understanding of the Christian faith. Doesn't mean they're all converting or they're all becoming Christians. Wanna, that's not what I mean. You know, I mean this idea, you know, because in the end times, the, the elect will themselves be deceived, right? And mm. it's this watered down Christianity uh, you know, the the world will end in 1988, no, 1989. You know, all of this type of Christianity, I think, is falling away, I think, for better mm -hmm. or for worse. And I don't want to judge mm -hmm. anybody's relationship with Christianity. Uh, but we're seeing, you know, kind of the scaffolding fall. And we saw it happen in the 14th century, right? When the the, yeah. the, the papal revolution had everybody uh, mm -hmm. thinking that, you know, this was the kingdom at hand, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, that became the corrupting force. And then those yep. people at that time had to contend with that. So, uh, you know, you want to go into that a little bit of, of uh, you know, that part yeah, of the book? Just to add a little bit, you know, reading Tom Holland's book, which is kind of like this survey of 2000 years of history of how the West arrived where it is today. And so a lot of it follows the, the journey of the church uh, through the West. And what really fascinates me is what you just touched on, where things that started over here got flipped over here, or things that were, you know, uh, a high point got flipped and became a low point, right? And so even we look, you look at the history of it, and the church started science, right? Science was invented by Christianity, you know, you're welcome. And then you look at it now, and it's flipped to where now the greatest contender uh, is, you know, scientism or something that kind of like spun off and became its own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then Holland also introduces things like the Reformation, right? That was a very challenging time in the Western church. Uh, Reformation didn't start with Luther. It started within the church itself as ref reformatio. Uh, for those that could speak Latin, please let me know how to pronounce that. Uh, but that was a movement in the church hundreds of years. And it was like within the church, we need to reform, right? And so that pattern was started by the people that it was, you know, then turned against. And then uh, one thing in this particular chapter for zooming into um, the chapter on apocalypse, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read the quote here. So it says, yet the papacy, which in the age of Gregory the eighth, or excuse me, Gregory the seventh had weaponized it as no other institution had ever thought to do, had now become the embodiment of the status quo. Right. So the things that they were like rebelling against, uh, they became. So you, it's really interesting kind of seeing this like flip uh, from one season to the other. Uh, the moderni, those reformers who back in the 12th century had proclaimed the world to be standing on the threshold of eternity, had turned out to be mistaken. Modernitas, the new age that with its dawning would herald the end of time had failed to arrive. This did not mean, though, that it never would. The prognosis provided by the book of Revelation was clear. To read in the cracking of the world the events foretold by St. John was inevitably to feel a certain shiver of dread, but also, mm -hmm. perhaps, to dream that upheaval and transformation might be for the best. And so he's talking about these, you know, Taborites, and they had uh, secluded themselves and wanted to, to get back to, you know, like the Acts 2 church and get back to the roots of Christianity, very simple living, sharing everything in common, uh, you know, very communal arrangement. And 
then over the course of time, they it was like this energy of end times rush eschatology. The end is nigh, the end is nigh, you know, but then you say it so much and then people are like, well, okay, you can only say that so long, right? Before the energy kind of naturally comes down and it's like, well, what now? We kind of think this lawn game, which of course the church at large did. Uh, but then this, this little example of this community what you see is they started becoming the people that they had excluded themselves from. So they became militaristic. Uh, mm -hmm. They took over uh, the next city and they dominated it with the military. And it was like, they took into their own hands this things that they're reading in the book of Revelation, right? The last book in the Bible that talks about the end. And they took it within their own hands to purge and to carry out the things that they thought were coming ahead. And so you kind of see what that looks like, or maybe uh, that should be told as a cautionary tale of like, maybe you don't want to uh, become the thing that you're fighting against. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're a general, <laughs> mm -hmm. not the leader of this, you know, like communal intentional community. Yeah. No, I think, that, I mean, yeah, that quote kind of just situated our entire conversation of this, this intimation of, of the end times brings up dread, but it also brings up, uh, intuition of transformation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if, if the meaning of life is, is, uh, is the transformation of the human heart. Yeah. Right. right we there. can look at it from, from an angel, from a an Orthodox Christian perspective. And I think from many kind of religious perspectives, we are here on this earth. Um, and we have a body, right. We have garments of skin. Uh, I had this, this quote that came to me a few years ago that, um, uh, you know, when I was, uh, I was into a lot of different, uh, things at that time, but it popped up on Facebook and this is a, I said that your, your, uh, your body, your physical body is like a glove you wear for a time to do some heavy lifting. Right. And I think mm. that heavy lifting is the, the repentance, the transformation of the human heart. And I think mm. we are, we are fractally individual selves that have our own sins that we need to expiate and work through. Right. But we also carry the sins of our fathers. Right, mm. generational sin, generational. You could think of it as generational trauma that it's talked about in pop psychology now, where you have generations of alcoholics in your family or addicts or of whatever it may be that's passed down to the children, and it is right. And this this idea, this biblical notion of you know you will be cursed for seven generations, mm. which is mm -hmm. easy to dismiss, but now it's just a different garb and talking about generational trauma. And if you had, if you had parents that were sinning and sinning just means missing the mark, they were not living up mm -hmm. to their ideals. They're not living in accordance um, with even their own ideals. And in doing so chaos uh, was, was, you know, uh, instantiated within the family lineage. And so you're at both an individual dealing with both your sins, but also you have your entire lineage at your back that are there that are, are, observing right and participating and you living in this world right now i, I really believe that you know mm -hmm. I, I think the the you know the dead are with us you know the saints are with us yeah. that's not just yeah. a it's not just a term that's not like a comfortable thing to say or some kind of cute quip new you know it's it's real mm -hmm. right so these things can give us courage these things can give us uh, resilience uh, to really contend with those things and challenge yourself. Don't just believe it because I say it or or you've heard the term. Challenge yourself, reflect on it, do the 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 the, the work you need to do uh, to to transform, right? And mm -hmm. again, coming eschatological optimism to me is is the it's living in these intense times gives us the energy that we need to transform 
uh, more robustly, more beautifully, you know, uh, and to transform our hearts. But man, that's, it's not easy. It's, it's the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life, quite literally, you know? Yep. Um, so I wanted to, to ch- touch on a couple other things you talked about how, you know, science is born of, out of Christianity. You know, this is true, right? That doesn't mean that mathematics, like, you know, all of the religions and the cultures have played a role in building the world that we're living in. And just because we yeah. say, you know, the, you know, science was born out of the university, the university was born out of the monastery, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean, that doesn't deny or diminish all the other beautiful cultures and religions that have, you know, that have contributed to the generation of the the knowledge of the world that we see in this world, you know, that we see, that we get to apprehend. Mm-hmm. Science is, is the ability to uh, explore the kingdom uh, that is presented to us in a reliable way because we make predictions and those predictions are borne out. And then, you know, it gives you a, a footing, a foothold into the world. And that is absolutely born out of, out of the Christian appreciation of the natural world, but it's not to just be destroyed or diminished, right? It is to be revered, you know, explored uh, and loved, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we've seen that uh, a, a kind of disillusionment of this love piece from the scientific method and from, mm-hmm. from science as such. And I think that's what born this scientism that we're living in. Um, right. And, right. and we're, the love and of the, of, of God and the human heart is, is absent from all of the people. I'd say most of the people that are responsible at a global level for public health, for, you know, just at all these big levels. Right. And we see in the Bible, what that happens, we're building, you know, fractal tower of Babel's, you know, mm. all over the place, <laughs> you know, um, what so, do you mean by that fractal towers of Babel? The, well, you know, the tower of Babel is, is, uh, you know, is every, another interesting about this, this concept, right? Everybody prior to the, the biblical story of the tower of Babel, everybody spoke a, a, the same language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, uh, constructed this tower to reach the heavens, uh, as actually a kind of a gateway for, God to reveal himself, but it wasn't God. It was, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was out of hubris, out of human hubris. And what did uh, God do? He dispersed the people and he made their tongues in, unintelligible to each other. Right. Yeah. What is the one universal language that we participate in as a global society? What is it? It's science, right? Right. Yeah. Science is the same, whether you're in China or Russia or Brazil or the United States, it is our universal language, you know, and mathematics and whatnot. Yeah. So I just found that as, 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 as an interesting kind of aside, but, uh, you know, fascinating. Uh, no, that's not an aside. That's like, I'm yeah. uh, writing out those, uh, arrival essays and that's, oh, really? yeah. Yeah. As a number two is totally that. So I introduced the, the, I guess the first part, you know, like the fall, from the Tower of Babel, and we lose the universal language, um, and then now, now we speak like seven thousand languages, give or take, right now. Uh, yeah. And then you start seeing like the reconstruction of the Tower of Babel in Acts two, mm-hmm. and how it, how Christ's arrival, right? You look at him as in the center of history, uh, and Holland has a great page on, I guess, the history of how we account for time and how it counts down. It's kind of like this chiastic thing, you know, and then it counts mm-hmm. up. Uh, and of course, the cross is in the center of that. And you look at you look at just uh, where we are and how uh, in Acts, his arrival is like the logos of creation coming again. And then how he's reconstituting the world. And you have all of these 
nations represented in this one place. And suddenly they're speaking a universal language again, mm -hmm. right? And they're in an upper room. So even like spatially, you can start seeing the, uh, the retelling of those patterns of Babel, but in the reverse order of, you know, reconstituting things. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. And that, that researching that book for, for Tom Holland had a, a great impact. He was an atheist. I don't know if he still is. I think he's moved mm -hmm. away from his, no, age, right? No, it was writing that book that really began his, his journey away from where he started to, you know, coming back to the church. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. just profound. I wish, I wish it wasn't so thick so I could just share yeah. it with everyone. It'd be like, you know, it certainly dominates the bookshelf. I'll give him that. Yeah. Cause uh, I want others to, I want uh, impart this understanding of Christianity to others the best that I can, uh, that it's not, it's not about saying this one religion is better than the others. It's not about that. It's not saying that, you know, uh, but the discourse always gets caught up in this thing. Oh, you happen to be born in a Christian world. So you think your truth is the only truth. And that's such a easy trap to fall in. Right. I, I've even had those notions. If you're born a Hindu, would you be going to hell? All these questions, uh, things of that nature. But if you really contend with the, the history of Christianity and the world that we're living in, it is it is rooted in a Christian world for better or for worse, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if people would contend with that story, like kind of Tom Holland did, but in their own way, they could come to an appreciation of the world that we live in, of the the values of the West, uh, without being succumbed to them and making them an idol, you know, yeah, which I yeah. think what that which I think has happened, and I think the um, Tower of Babel is the building of an, a, a grandiose uh, idol, right? Um, mm -hmm. And technology, I think we, yeah. yeah, and we we do that in our own lives. Uh, and I think we were talking before, like I kind of felt the pull of my YouTube channel, right? You know, audience capture, some stuff like that, where you you know the topic of the day, whether it's political or economic or social, you just feel this urge to talk about it because you get likes mm -hmm. and you get eyeballs. Right? Order crisis. That is, yeah, that is. <laughs> this is the feedback loop of building a fractal tower of Babel in your own life, right? Which oh, will eventually okay. be destroyed. Okay. So I'm trying, you know, to to not get into that. And by happenstance, you know, some of the topics that I discussed on my channel uh, made my channel uh, demonetized for a bit, and then it shut off Whoa. its growth completely, Whoa. right? Which which was a blessing. It was a blessing, like because it stopped that process of the next thing and commenting on the next thing, right? And oh, it stopped yeah. the process yeah. of audience capture, you know, uh, of this of of having, and it it made me reflect more on. You know, I'm going to share what comes to me in terms of my readings or what's important in my life with my family life, you know, so there's a lot less content, but it's not chasing the shiny thing uh, that I feel was such a temptation, some temptation for me. And I think we can see that uh, like the, the, it sounds like a, a lofty concept, like the fra fractal tower of Babel, but we can see it in our own lives. We can make our career a tower of Babel. We can make working out a tower of Babel. We can make reading Orthodox theology a tower mm, of Babel, mm. right? Uh, I think it depends on the, the the comportment, the quality of the heart, in a sense. It all comes mm -hmm. back to, to the heart. Um, and I think, yeah, because in the heart, the heart longs for union with God, but it also looks, looks for communion. You know, mm -hmm. it's drawn to communion with others in their union with God. And so Tower of Babel, in a way, it's kind of like an anti-church or an anti-communion or the loss of it and yeah. so like I, I know like with jordan peterson and he's right you know we have to work on ourselves clean our room get our act together reorder ourselves to where we have a identified purpose and a plan uh and an identity 
to know who we are. Uh, but it can't just stop there, right? Because we're communal. There's a part of us that has to do that, but also be connected to something. And so I think, you know, in addition to working on the heart, like work on the communion, work on, you know, your connections of what you're bridged to. Uh, so like, you know, for Christian, like get connected with the church, right? And don't review it like you're, you know, going to a restaurant or something and it's Yelp and you're trying like, just turn that part off, you know, like, don't like, just read screw tape letters, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first part where it's like, uh, basically describing all of these distractions uh, and actually church can be the easiest place to distract people because they have all these thoughts going about, you know, the smelliness of the people around them or just uh, just the, the horrible performance of the clergy or something like that. Uh, but you got to dig in and do the, the self-work, but you got to do the community work and like, what's your supportive community? You know, yeah. like it, that, that looks like different things for different people, of course, but I think that is kind of like that next level of what it looks like to um, put the world back together, right? In a mm -hmm. good way, kind of like what we mentioned in, in Acts 2, where we have something that's above us, uh, that is transcendent, that's a that we can all point toward, that can draw a circle around all of us. Mm -hmm. For the church, of course, that's Christ and the life that's in him. But, you know, if if more people did that, then that pattern would scale up to the national level, to the global level, of course. And so, you know, really Tom Holland, he does do a good job of just showing like this progression of what these small groups of people did in this little upper room to, gosh, all the way over here where I'm in California. Just, it really is astounding. It's astounding. Um, but for Christians, it's interesting, man, because we, we it's like we know the end, but we don't. You know, it's almost like we know, like we could be told, like, here's the hero's journey, right? And then all of a sudden we can see it in all of these different movies today. Uh, but we, the hero's journey doesn't tell us exactly the story, right? It doesn't tell us how the matrix is going to turn out. We have to watch it. And so in a similar way, it's like we're given these patterns in the apocalyptic literature and revelation uh, or even given examples throughout history, like you can find in the books we referenced. But we still have to live it. We don't know exactly what it looks like. It's still kind of dimly, like maybe some people who um, have uh, more of a spiritual sensitivity or they've read history or they, you know, they, they have a little bit more of a, of a, a, a perception that has a higher resolution. So they can kind mm -hmm. of see things happening and can guess with more certainty what's happening next whatever you do, just don't write a, a book about it about, <laughs> because if anything that you can take from this conversation is that, um, mm -hmm. people that predict the, the dates and times have proven to be wrong and it just hasn't gone, gone well for them. But the hope that what I'm picking up from you is like, there's so much work to be done at the local and the communal level. And if we can focus on that rather than uh, that constant news cycle. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be mainstream media, right? <laughs> like you can just open mm -hmm. up YouTube, right? And then you got uh, Jimmy Dore, you mentioned, um, you got Joe Rogan, you have all of these reaction videos of like, oh my gosh, like multiple videos a day from each channel, all talking about what this person did or didn't, or this new development that just happened. And then all of a sudden, 
a gazillion YouTube videos, I'll have to make a video about it. Right. And then it comes and it goes and you're all what you're left with is that terror or that like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I have to do something, but I don't know what. And yeah. so, I mean, like that does make me curious. You'd mentioned the, the sins, right? So the, the sin will follow you to the third and fourth generation or up to the seventh. Right. Um, so I'm curious in light of the things that your dad and your grandpa did or didn't do, how does that inform you? But then going the other direction, how do the things that you do today with the understanding of how it would influence your, your children and your grandchildren, uh, do you have an awareness of that? Or like, how does that affect your, your actions throughout the day? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. And, um, something that I don't remember a lot from my childhood incidentally, but what I do remember is I had this phobia, not of somebody breaking in the house or a, a murder, you know, when you're younger, you know, watching movies, insane clown or, you know, whatever the monster under the bed, I had this phobia of my parents getting divorced. I remember, I don't uh. know why, where it came from, but I just had this, this thing. And I remember I'd have conversations. My parents would fight a lot. And I remember I would ask my mom if, you know, are you guys going to divorce? She said, I would never do that. She mm. would say some other things about it. And then I remember when it happened, uh, it was such a traumatic event. Like it was such, it was, the, it was an apocalypse. It was the end of my world mm. as a child. Right. And that, uh, that, that inaugurated a lot of sin in me, right. Missing the mark because that, that in, intense emotion of dealing with the dissolution of your world, right? You can't comprehend it. You can't metabolize it as an adult, let alone as a child, right? So you cover it over. Uh, and that later on turns into addictions, right? As you, you can't mm. feel the grief that's there in your heart. So you try to distract yourself. You try to cover it over, whether it's drugs or alcohol, whatever it may be, you know? Um, so I'm very mindful of that. And I take that into the relationship with my wife is the marriage is very important in that, that environment for that child to grow and thrive in, you know, uh, a husband and a wife is a sort of garden of Eden, right? Um, mm. We're growing humans, right? Mm. Little precious human beings. So, um, and there was a lot of strife, you know, a lot of tribulation and my parents moved here, you know, they left Greece, didn't know the language, right? So all that's passed on and I did feel it, you know, and, and my grandparents, you know, my mom, my grandma was adopted from Russia, like great grandma. There's a, it becomes opaque of what happened actually from my personal history, mm -hmm. but you can kind of feel it. And the, 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 you know, trying to repent, right? Metanoia is dealing with the personal effects of childhood, but also of generational trauma. Right. And metabolizing that to pass as little on to the children as I can, because they're going to have their own set of issues to deal with. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, this global apocalypse that we're talking about here. Right. It's not it's not local. Right. So it's global now. So we need resilient, strong, brave kids. And I think that's and people know that in their heart of hearts. That's why Jordan Peterson's simple edict of clean your room resonated so much with young men. Because it's like, you know, uh, in order to contend with the dragon, you have to have a space to train. In order to have a space to train, you can't have clutter. And that space to train can be a space to pray, a space to to do your sport, whatever it is, you need you need that space. And, and in order to to have it, you have to cleanse it, uh, right? So I, I think at the center of that is the, is the heart, cleansing the heart. And I think you hit it, the nail on the head, which is the most important thing out of this, this conversation that we could 
present to people is the notion of loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Those are the same thing, right? You know, uh, Jordan Peterson calls it the infinite transcendent. Love the infinite transcendent with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Mm -hmm. These are the two vectors of the cross, right? This vertical cross, love the infinite transcendent, yeah. love God with all your heart, and the horizontal cross, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Those are the things you need to work on. That's where eschatological optimism is, right there. And if you work on them, just like you said, it's it, it's a fractal pattern that has ripple effects in your family, heals generational trauma, and then your neighbors, your community, your church, your work, right? And this isn't some grandiose thing. It's not like, oh, I've figured out some eternal truth and I can talk to people about it and I can talk them into my, you know, my ability to uh, to argue. And I'm going to argue because I've read all this theology and I can finally articulate to them. No, it's not that. It's not that at all, right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 this quality of the heart that is rarefied through the process of of repentance, right? Mm. That's an, We could spend an hour on that term because there's so much baggage on it. Re yeah. To repent is to transform. Yeah. To repent yeah. is to reorient it. To, to reorient, right? To sin is to miss the mark. To repent is to aim appropriately again. That's as simple as it is, right? Yeah. And you're always yeah. going to be missing your aim, but to reorient yourself again. And that's funny. This is a kind of the main theme that we talked about in our first discussion. Oh, uh, I remember you shared the graph of yeah. like the line and then like the wiggly <laughs> stuff. And it's like, every time you come back to the line, it's like, that's the act of repentance. Yeah. That, and that's it. Each time you do that, you, you transform. Uh, and then that transformation affects others around you uh, at a subliminal level, at a subconscious level, at a psychological, whatever, whatever it may be, whatever, you know, modern garb you want to put to it. Right. Yeah. And that has yeah. the ability. It cannot have, it cannot, but have the ability to scale up and it will scale up to a global level. And that's what's happening now. Right. But it's the scaling up at the global level. It's not going to be on CNN. It's not even going to be on YouTube. Right. It happens from within. Right. And, and it, it's like, it, it's like, uh, you know, it's like Christ coming back slowly through each individual's repentant heart and, and having effect on others. So when he comes back in his glory, you have eyes to see, you have to have eyes to see. That means a heart to mm -hmm. observe, to perceive. Right. So it's that, that cleansing of the heart that ultimately uh, that will lead you to the understanding of that beautiful quote from dominion that we are living on the threshold of eternity. Mm -hmm. Right. The eternity is now. It's not some afterwards. Like we're living in it, right? But we have to have the ability, the the eyes to see and the ears to hear it, which is a beautiful thing, you know? Because just like as one world dies, just like you lose your job, you lose whatever it may be, uh, you know, you have a dream, you come out of that dream, right? You know, so when your time is up on this earth, right? Why would one think that that is the ultimate end of anything when every other cycle you know, mm -hmm. has its renewal. Yeah. Every other one, yeah. you almost can't name another uh, mm -hmm. kind of a definitive end like that. What's that renewal going to look like, right? Uh, is, is uh, you know, uh, is hopeful. And I mm -hmm. think having mm -hmm. having faith uh, is about having hope uh, in, in that. Faith is not about believing in things without evidence. Faith is, is a mode of perception uh, that allows you to see the, the inklings of, of eternity that are here now, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So if you hit it right, right on the head, the two most important things are your heart and your, and your communion with others, your heart and your communion with others. And those things are the most powerful things in the world. AI doesn't matter. You name it, the WEF, political turmoil, whatever yeah. it may be, those things 
are are the most important thing um i you know 100 percent. just uh around here we have four seasons and mm -hmm. right now it's really an interesting time because we're surrounded by death you know our oak trees all of their leaves fell off you know uh there's just dead branches everywhere uh our garden is pretty much bare you know so it's like there's this evidence of death right but then this is a cool time of year because my hills and my country property they're all green they're bright green and so there's mm -hmm. like signs of like the renewal of the next year and so you to your point it's like yeah but it's so much of our, our we're so removed from the natural order and so like the natural cycles um uh that chapter in tom holland it's interesting uh the, how people perceive the end it kind of frames their actions presently mm -hmm. uh he he goes on to contrast um the spanish world they really felt like they were at that time they were just like this this arrow just like shot at full speed full strength and they were just like on a track of destiny right but then the people that they encountered in mexico um those people looked at time much more cyclically. You know, you look at the mm -hmm. Mayan calendar, Aztec calendar, and their understandings of time and having, you know, times of conquering and times of being conquered. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so it, it was just interesting to see this clash of, of cultures. But then at the same time, you see these parallels too, because both of them had similar prophecies of similar figures. He doesn't mention it there, but, you know, I traveled and lived in Latin America. And so like Quetzalcoatl, are you familiar with Quetzalcoatl? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So that was a, a prophesied figure that would return, right? He would come back. Uh, and so they were looking for patterns and for signs. And so they're looking at this cycle of like, well, he came here. And then when we do another rotation, he'll be at the door for the next rotation. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden Hernan Cortez shows up, right? like an alien out of space, right? Where in things that they've never seen before, like steel. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, that was a, a different type of apocalypse for them, but that's how they saw it. It was like the turning of this cycle. Um, interesting fact, I got to go to the birthplace of Quetzalcoatl, uh, middle of Mexico. And it is, it's a kind of a side note, it's a crazy place, man. Uh, it also is the convention for a lot of uh, UFO groups uh, because there's, some you know crack in the cosmos there where mm -hmm. there's a more of a, a portal to the other world so to speak and so but at that place they have these really tall mountains just like almost vertical cones and mm -hmm. then at the very top of one is this pyramid and it's just like how did they build a pyramid on the top of that thing it's a really crazy place um but then like just the understanding of time and so i just wonder like people if they frame time as in, you know, if we die and that's it, right? So let's, you know, you only live once and so live it up, right? So then typically what happens, people, maybe they do meaningful things, but they could also easily fall into just their pleasures, mm -hmm. right? Do things, eat, drink, and be merry because I don't know, you might not live tomorrow. And so live it up and live a life of pleasure. Um, but then you get other people, right? Like say, you got three months to live, you got cancer, it's like, what? I've been healthy my whole life. All of a sudden it's like, man, I'm sorry, but you have cancer, you're going to die. And then how do they change? Mm -hmm. Right? All of a sudden the end is nigh. And 
they go about life in a different way. And perhaps they approach it uh, in a way of, well, maybe I'll just sow into the life that I have now in a way that is meaningful and makes life better for others, right? And then if you look at it with that, that cycle too, then you're just thinking, well, the things I do now, that's just like dividends for later. If I sow seeds now, right? Mm -hmm. And then after the apocalypse of my life, then we'll see uh, the fruit of that. You know, it's not going to be dead in my garden for long. You know, God willing, the seeds that I plant will grow. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just wondering, like, how would you describe the Christian way of approaching eschatology? Like what is, what is the, the way of seeing the end? Uh, maybe people who, if you go to read revelation for the first time, maybe what, what would be your advice to them? Um, man, um, take your time, take your lifetime to read and digest that and, uh, do it with help, uh, you know, hopefully from a tradition and, and do it with others and read it out loud. Uh, but tread lightly because there's a lot of imagery there. Uh, and that could easily, uh, bring up uh, a lot of different things, you know, mm -hmm. so you kind of tread lightly on that. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a challenging book to read for many reasons, you know? Um, but it also has a, it's also part of the gospel, right? So it has the, the transformative effect. Any part of the gospel that you read is going to have this kind of transformative effect on you. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I think it, it gives you hope though. Uh, I think, you, you know, you can't like it's this, uh, this idea of, you know, uh, when you die, right. You have three months to live. It, it causes repentance, transforms your heart, mm. right? Mm. Even people that have near death experiences, you know, they don't die, but they almost die. And that transforms their heart. That's why it goes back to that relationship with mm -hmm. death, right? With Christ trampled death by death. Like those redwoods or those those trees, they they have to die in order for the, the trees to, you know what I'm saying? They mm -hmm. die and it's mm -hmm. out of that death that resurrection happens. And it can't be any other way unless you totally disregard the the natural world around you. It can't be but another way. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and what that means, uh, if you're a scientific materialist uh, and you're just gathering um, you know, material wealth, um, you know, you're going to have to come to terms with that, what that means. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of resources uh, out there uh, to, to help you on that path. Um, I don't know. Are you familiar with Jordan Hall? Yes. Yeah. So I've talked with him twice on my channel and mm -hmm. uh, it's, I find his story absolutely fascinating. Uh, I actually want to mm -hmm. ask him for a conversation and uh, him and I had really shared our appreciation with Deleuze, the French postmodern atheist philosopher. Okay. So yeah. I want to reach out to him and be like, we're going to go for, can I, this conversation be entitled from Deleuze to the pews, you know, because he it. had this, he yeah. had this transformation. He's a Christian yeah. now and for him to come out uh, as a Christian uh, and I remember, you know, oh, years wow. ago to, did you hear about that? He, so, so he, just, he just recently, just recently he did a podcast I'll send it to you, where he talked about, he became a Christian now, just mind oh, man, blowing. You got to talk to him. Yeah. I, I, so, and man, I remember when I was beginning, middle yeah. and end.
right? So when I talked when I talked to him, he started sharing a lot of just in the last year, last six months, he started sharing a lot of Jonathan's work. This is good. Oh, this is really good. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then in this podcast, he came out that uh, you know, he said he's able to metabolize all of the fundamental things that made the West the West. But when his this new community that he moved into, when the very nice, wonderful people in this community asked him and his wife to go to church, he said he felt this tinge, this reluctance, mm. you know, come within him. Yeah, and what's then, that? Yeah. And then he ended up exploring it, ended up be, becoming Christian. Um, mm. And I remember when I was in 2020, when I talked with him, we were just talking and um, I said, I've been really starting to read, the, you know, the church fathers. We're just coming out of our conversation on Deleuze, which is completely antithetical. I said, I've been really starting to read the saints and the church father. He goes, hmm, that feels right. That's what he said. And for him to say that at, at that moment, like it stuck with me the whole time. And now that this happened, like it, it makes me reflect. So um, back to your question on how to have hope and revelation, read the church fathers. Because mm, yeah, yeah. The, the Orthodox church fathers, right? Like even if you're not Christian, the, the material that is available to us now is recently available to us for the last 10 years. Last 50 yeah. years is being translated. That was not there before for anybody globally. And it's all there at our fingertips there. So, um, you know, th- that would be my advice. Yeah. Which ones have you shared on this topic? I know you read some from uh, Sarah from Rose, but uh, you also read one. Oh, man, it had the cover of um, the multi-headed beast, the seven-headed beast. You know, are there other books that you've shared on your channel on this topic? Yeah, I mean, lots of them. Uh, St. Maximus, uh, the Confessor, St. Gregory of Nyssa. I've read some of their books kind of from mm-hmm. cover to cover on the channel. Uh, I think the book you're talking about was uh, I See Satan Fall Like Lightning, which was mm. uh, from Rene Girard, mm-hmm. um, which is he's not a church father uh, yet. Uh, but um, I, I don't know if he will be, but he's mm. another one of those that was an atheist and then encountered authentic Christianity and was transformed. Mm. You know, uh, Marshall McLuhan had that experience. So for someone that's intellectually interested, like you and I are right, this into philosophy or whatnot to see these people that are intellectual giants have an authentic transformation, uh, and go from being, you know, um, dismissers of Christianity as this decaying ancient, whatever it may be, or just mm-hmm. all these critiques that are made in the face of all those critiques, Nietzsche's critiques in the face of all that have what, in my opinion, is the courage to look and be transformed that is, uh, that's about the, uh, you know, that's what some of the most powerful mm-hmm. stories outside of the gospel yeah. that can transform your heart for sure. Yes. Humility before wisdom. Um, that was know, another the... one is, uh, Andrew Huberman. Mm-hmm. So he's the neuroscientist, yeah. right. Kind of became popular in the productivity world. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been a little bit critical about him because, Kind of, he bugs me because he has these video titles that are like, you know, five ways to wake up with more energy than any any other time in your life. You know, like mm-hmm. how to become like this superhuman, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you click the video and, you know, he has a very, you know, scientific, technical way of describing it. But then at some point in the video, maybe other people have experienced this too, listening to him. You're like, so I go outside in the sunlight and I make sure mm-hmm. to drink a cup of water in the morning, you know, it's like all these like things your mom and grandma told you to do. <laughs> yeah. Make sure I get out and exercise. Like my PE teacher always told, you know, like, but he has a, a, a cool way of uh, scientifically being able to break that down. And it, maybe there's a, 
but the the part that is satisfying about that or intriguing is the confirmation you know at a higher mm -hmm. level of intelligence but even yeah. he came to a point of humility where he reached out and he said man i there's some there's only so much that you can know there's only mm -hmm. so much that you can be aware of and then even if you get there there's still more and so there's this mystery that kind of clouds the the peak of this mountain of knowledge and so there is something that has to be you know that comes from there in order to be able to to how would you say it like reveal this or even create this structured world that we're studying and so for him he kind of like reached the end of science and scientism and and embraced the mystery that's beyond that yeah, and that that um, or humility, that was the fundamental orienting principle that Jordan Hall talked about. That was the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, catalyst for his transformation was humility. Uh, he got very sick recently, very sick. Um, I don't know if he was in South America or something. Um, and he said, uh, you know, uh, it was dealing with some serious grief that mm. really triggered the transformation. We saw it with Jordan Peterson. Right, having to go through what what he went through, uh, mm. so I think humility is is the uh, is the key, um, and I think humility is the, the at the point where you have to drink the grief that's at the center of your soul. Right, it's mm. there. Right, you've mm. already paid for it. You know, you've got to drink from it deeply, yeah. and all of it. That's where the transformation happens. That's the hardest thing to mm. do, but there's no better thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. Another way I've heard it is uh, you got to lean into it. So like mm -hmm. if it's depression, lean into it because there's going to be something in there that opens up to something greater. You know, it's kind of like that transformation of like you lean into it. And for me, oh gosh, I forgot who said this. Um, it was a father in the church. Uh, he, you see, I come from a Protestant background. So the word repentance kind of has like a trigger word that was like mm -hmm. a, a, a negative connotation of like, me oh, too. that's me too. It did historically. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but then I love the work that you're doing with metanoia and kind of like getting back to the Greek and, and really widening the, the reality of what's happening with that process of metanoia. And I know you've, you talked about noose and former conversations that we've had and uh, in your channel as well, but kind of like that, that what's happening at that spiritual uh, spiritual part of our being and how that works in this transformational aspect and how we can actually become more. And so if you are, you know, struggling with grief or an illness or anything that has us bracing ourselves, or maybe we just dread, we don't want to go through it, we don't want to face it. Um, if you were to lean into it or drink it, it's like some, something happens like uh, what that father told uh, his advice was to, to, it, it was, I forget what, it, what the prompt was, but it was like a uh, question and answer. The question was like, how do I deal with this? And you're kind of expecting, you know, this like, you know, something from the Bible or something therapeutic. And he's like, repent, like your life depended on it. And right. Mm -hmm. And when you think you've done it enough, just keep doing it. And I was like, oh man. And so of course something happened in my life and it came to that moment. And I was like, I remember this words. I was like, well, I think I should do all of this like self-help things, or I should do the self-care. You know, I should do all these things that, you know, I learned at work and you hear a lot these days. And I was like, well, maybe I'll try what that father said. Mm -hmm. And so I just gave myself to, to the repentance uh, and the Jesus prayer as well. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Uh, sometimes I try to abbreviate that prayer because I don't want to say that last part because again, sinner is a bad word uh, from the the church background that I come from. Mm-hmm. So you, you you don't want to, you want to avoid that you know just like have more word more affirming words please yeah and so but I tell you what man it was like like I I was aware of the process happening and so mm-hmm. I I was aware of this death that took place. Um, and I was aware of the parts of me that were weak and were afraid and were fighting the whole process finally gave in and they just kind of faded away. And it was like that renewal, that washing that takes place. And I came out of that, that time. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that worked, you know, like, mm-hmm. like thank uh, God. Yeah. And so, um, I just, I, I just am amazed at how repentance can be something that is something that we do, man. We need to lean into it, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we think, hey, we have nothing to repent of. And it's like, man, I, my encouragement is like, just do it. Just, just give into the process, give it a shot, you know, because you yeah. never know. You have nothing to lose, nothing to lose, everything to the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, so, uh, you know, if we can get at a more originary understanding of the term sin and repentance, like those two things, because I had the same baggage with them, the same reluctance, mm. you know, that, that would reveal what the term salvation means. If we can understand what sin means. And, um, you know, I had this conversation with David Gronowski and he's talking about using the ideas in the gospel, right. To cure cancer. And I said to him, I'm like, curing cancer is repentance, right? Because cancer is a result of, you know, the public health community, the food that we eat, right? Is that the, what are, what those that were in charge of these topics, right? Started moving, started sinning by not making the quality of a food about the quality of food, making about, about saving money, making more money for themselves. So that's a sin. It's missing the mark instead of taking care of the public's health, instead of giving us good food gave us crap food and there's the proliferation of cancer and chronic disease. So at a very practical level, repentance is curing cancer, right? It's to be reorienting ourselves to live better, live more healthy. And, and, you know, uh, so there's very practical, um, practical aspects to it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really just letting the things that are life remain. Yeah. Kind of washing away the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't know, James, man, I feel like we need to bring this to an end at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it uh, a lot. Like I always do. Um, you know, so I appreciate you reaching out and I'm glad we were able to do it today. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to share it. Yeah. Well, again, like kind of gets me like uh, my mind is just so much into arrival right now, but the first word to that, the film version of that story is, uh, I don't believe in, uh, beginnings and endings or like, because really, by the time you start thinking uh, within this this context that we're talking about, the end is the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. the end of one thing is the beginning of another. The death of one thing is the life of the next. And and for us, uh, even though like our conversation today is coming to an end, uh, that's bringing us that much closer to when we get to meet in person down in Florida. Yeah, look forward to it. And it, that's the that's the meaning of eschatological optimism. What you just said about arrival. That's oh, eschatological so? optimism. Real quick, well, you said so? the death uh, is always a beginning, a new arrival, the mm-hmm. beginning of the new, right? Uh, that is a fundamental 
structure of the world. And that should give us hope. Okay. All right, cool, James. Man. Thank you. God bless. God bless, man.